As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in Acts 5 and Acts 6 this morning. How's everybody doing? It's great to be with you. It's great worshiping our great God together. Uh, as we begin, will you please join me in prayer? I know I need to go before the throne. Will you, will you join me? Let's pray together. Father, what privilege is ours to gather not only in your name, but in your presence as your people. And God, it's only by your grace that that's so. It's only through the work of your son that that could be. And it's only empowered by your spirit that we could know and and experience this and have the joy of knowing that you are our God and we are your people. And Father, it's a privilege to come and worship you. It's a privilege to know you. It's a privilege to live our lives before you. And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you remind us of your reality? Would you remind us of your truth? Father, I I so much uh, want the uh, preaching of your word to be powerful. I'm sure most of that's for me. But God, for you. Would you open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to embrace your truth? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Growing pains. Growing pains. I mean, isn't it kind of an oxymoron? I mean, growing. I mean, growth. Growth should be exciting. Growth should be positive. I mean, growth should be like you're, you're having your child and you kind of got the notches on the wall. And as they go up, each time you get excited saying, look what's happening. I mean, not just growth in individuals, but in churches and corporations. I mean, growth should be awesome. And it is in many ways. But is it not true? Have you not experienced growing pains? I mean, maybe as your family grew, just the adjustment of children, or maybe even grandchildren. Uh, Just as life goes on, the challenges that come with or accompany growth, it's true with all of us. Well, the church is experiencing exponential growth. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is taking hold of people's lives, and because of the reality that Jesus is alive, and because of the reality that he really did pay for our sins. And because of the reality that, that sinful man and a holy God has been bridged, everything has changed. And the early church, empowered now by the Holy Spirit, is just seeing like unbelievable growth. I mean, after one sermon, thousands of people are saying, I want to follow that Jesus. I hear he's alive. I hear he changes lives. I'm all in. We'll see the blessings of growth. I mean, it is the Lord who's daily, it says, adds to their number. Do you know that this is every pastor's dream? (laughs) There's nothing more exciting to a pastor is that when God's spirit is adding to the number of believers. I remember uh, wrestling with a call years ago of what's next for me. I remember saying, God, I don't care where you send me. I I really want to be obedient to wherever that is. But the one thing I'm going to ask is please send me or or keep me in a place that we're going to see people come to Christ. We're going to see people who who realize for the very first time who Jesus really is and what he's done for them. Because truthfully, there's nothing more exciting than seeing someone become alive and become convinced that Jesus really has forgiven their sins and they're free and alive and their life can now be fruitful. It's awesome. But also with that, there's challenges of growth. 
It's certainly true in the early church. They're experiencing all kinds of challenges. The first challenges we looked at were, were external. As the church was booming, guess what the religious leaders did? Didn't like it. There seemed to be a power surge in the other direction, and they wanted to stop it as soon as they could. So during this growth, it was the religious leaders who hauled in the apostles into a, a court of sorts and says, listen, quit talking about this Jesus. Listen, quit teaching about this Jesus. We want you to stop using his name because apparently there's great power in his name. Stop it. And the apostle said, judge for yourselves. Should we listen to you or listen to God? We can't help but speak of Jesus. So we see them, they're persecuted. I mean, they're, they're being literally attacked and, and many of them will give their lives because they're followers of Jesus. Growth is causing them uh, a real stir. There's also some internal problems. Internal problems, it just said last week, uh, we looked at the church and its beauty. It said that they had one heart and one soul. Don't you love that about who we are supposed to be in Christ? One heart and one soul, and they were so convinced of the resurrection that now they held all their stuff really loosely. And it says, when someone had need, someone says, hey, I'll sell something, and we'll make sure we cover that. But there was some internal conflict, and even at this time, there was this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who in duplicity and and who in dishonesty and who would embezzle God and try to be righteous in God's eyes, but really being hypocritical and self-righteous. And we see that growth has caused some internal problems. Man, God dealt with that quickly last week, didn't he? But we see there's even more as we have challenges of growth and growing pains. You have logistical challenges. More people means more needs. More needs means more structure. More structure means clearly defined roles. This morning's passage, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. And they're tied in together with growth. We're going to look, pick up just where we left off last time in Acts chapter 5. And we're going to see how God is adding to their number and what God is doing. And then we're going to go to chapter 6 and see what kind of consequences that growth is causing the early church. There's a lot of growing pains. But through it all, I want you to know this. The gospel of Jesus Christ can't be stopped. The good news of of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus will reach and is reaching the ends of the earth. And the apostles in the church and we are empowered to tell the story of Jesus. To tell the story that Jesus' resurrection is real and he really is alive. And that we are now called on mission to tell and share that story. Let's look up this uh, passage in, in Acts chapter 5. Let's see these growing pains. See what God has for each one of us, not only as a church, but individually in our lives. We'll look at Acts 5, verses 12 through 16, and then we'll jump over to chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We'll pick up the rest of chapter 5 next week. Let's be mindful, this is a story that was written a long time ago by a man named Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, He wrote it with his own uh, personality and his own style, but amazingly, because this is God's word, God's being was breathed upon Luke as he wrote this. And because of that, it's a living word. It's an active word. It's for you and me. This is not a story that we're supposed to sit outside of and judge. This is a story that's supposed to transform our lives because it's the word of God. Let's hear the word of God together. I'll read aloud. Please read along with me silently. It's in your bulletin. The word should be on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Right there in the temple, by the way. 
None of the rest dared join them. Hmm. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now in, those, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint came by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus. Now look at his name. Do you think that he was for a uh, choir? Okay. Anyway. And Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They set them before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number, many of priests became obedient to the faith. Let us pray. Father, these, these stories that can be both encouraging and discouraging, encouraging to see the gospel take such growth and such amazing measures of power and signs and miracles, it also can be a bit discouraging, wondering, is that still power available to us? It's also a bit discouraging to see, even in the early church, they had logistical struggles with making sure they took care of their own making sure there wasn't discrimination. And Father, I know as a pastor that that's a, that's a burden and a struggle here too. So God, would you come? Would you teach me? Would you teach this congregation about what you have for us so that we could be the bride of Christ that you see us as becoming one day and your Holy Spirit would work powerfully in each one of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This passage reveals that the apostles' prayer uh, was, for, uh, was being answered. That they actually asked for prayer to be answered, that they, God would do amazing things in their midst, and he has. And their prayers were answered that led to marvelous growth. If you want to follow along in the bulletin, you'll see this. Marvelous growth leads to complaints and challenges. Love that. In the midst of good times, guess what the church had? Complaints and challenges. Complaints and challenges led to the distribution of responsibility. And the distribution of responsibility led to more marvelous growth. The first thing I want you to see is this. God is a prayer-answering God. If you remember in chapter 4. In chapter 4, after an amazing healing of a man who was crippled for 40 years, Peter and John are pulled before the Sanhedrin, 71 of the religious leaders of the day. And they're put on court. 
And they were examined, but they couldn't be convicted because the evidence, Exhibit A, was standing right there next to him. This man was healed, and everybody knew who he was. And so what the Sanhedrin did said, listen, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And if you do, we're going to beat you. We're going to threaten you. And so they took these threats, and what did they do? They, they gathered together after they were being threatened, and they told all the people, this is what's happening. And they prayed. And as they prayed, it was an incredible prayer for me to see. They didn't ask for personal safety. They didn't ask that a rash would break out on all those Sanhedrin folks. What they asked for is two things. They said, God, we're being threatened here. And your son Jesus changed everything about us. Would you please give us boldness? Would you give us boldness? So that we will continue to proclaim the good news that your son is alive. And the second part of the plan is this. Will you give us boldness as you continue to stretch out your hand through signs and wonders and miracles and bring healing? And so they're saying basically, God, will you do your part? And only you can bring life. Only you can do these signs and miracles. It's all about the name of Jesus. But as you are working, would you give us boldness to point to it and say, that is all about a resurrected Savior named Jesus. And God has answered their prayer. It says in verse 12, again, as you look at this passage as we start, signs and wonders were regularly done through the name of Jesus. So the prayer was answered not just in a once in a while. But the power of the gospel was going out. And through these apostles, there were some amazing things that were happening. But not just that God was doing his part. God answered the prayer with signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, so much power that, that people are like, let's, just, let's bring our sick and let's bring them close to a guy named Peter. And let's just hope that his shadow falls over them. Now that's, to me, probably pretty superstitious. And it doesn't even say if the shadow healed them or not. But there was a great recognition that these men of God, these set-apart apostles for God, had incredible power and that God was doing signs and wonders to them. But what was the second part of that prayer again? Remember? Boldness. Boldness. How was boldness given to the apostles? Well, they were preaching, and where were they preaching according to this word? They were on Solomon's portico. Okay, now, this is what it means, is that They're gathering and preaching, like, right there in the temple. I mean, they they are within a stone's throw of those who have threatened their life. Is that bold? I mean, are you kidding me? Your your life has been threatened. And they said, stop talking about Jesus. And what do they do? They continue to gather right there under their noses. I mean, right there. And they were gathered together with great boldness, proclaiming the reality of what Jesus has done. They weren't hiding in the catacombs of the city. They were right next to the ones who said, we're coming after you if you keep doing this. The power of the gospel in the early church just can't be ignored. It's very interesting to me. I I really wrestled with verse 13. Look again at verse 13, what it says. It says that, that there was both fear and respect from the outsiders about the gospel. They were afraid to join them. I mean, there they says that they were, they were those who were being added to their number daily, but there were those who were like, I can't go over there. I mean, Listen, they they heard the story of Ananias and Sapphira. When God's in that group, I mean, there's people dying who are disobeying God in that group. I mean, look what God is doing in that group. There's such power 
I mean, the gospel was transforming so many lives that those who, who weren't a part, they were afraid. I mean, they knew that God was doing something, but they also had great respect. I love that. They respected him. They said, there's something unique. And I do believe that that's the way the world should see us, the church. That there should be power in here of lives being transformed by a risen Savior. Power in the way we love one another. That the world would respect us because you know what? We live in obedience to Jesus. We really believe he's alive. We really want to submit to him as our king. We really want to be on mission for him as, as our king. We don't want to just be like the world. And because of that reality, they had fear and respect. It's interesting, too, in the book of Acts, uh, these apostles, uh, they had a unique office and a unique calling. Let me spend just a minute on this. Now, when you look through the apostles and you see that it was Paul's handkerchief in, in Acts 19, 12 that had some miraculous power to heal, or Peter's shadow, uh, you want to say, well, where is that today? Is there anybody whose handkerchief will bring that kind of healing or whose shadow has that much power? We have to remember that the apostles had a specific office. They were those who had uh, eyewitnessed the resurrection. Those who were handpicked by God to do miraculous things in the beginning of the church. And we can't expect their ministries to be what we call normative or normal. I don't have that ability. I'll give you all my handkerchiefs I got. And it's not going to do you any good. Wipe your nose. That might be the only good thing it could do for you. But I do believe that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And I do believe he's a miraculous, healing, loving God. And he still heals today in and, and, and different ways that he did through the apostles. But he still miraculously works. I believe it and I pray, God, help my unbelief. Because the truth is, sometimes I read these and say, God, man, it would be awesome, man. My, my church would be a lot different if... He did some of these things every once in a while. You know, people walking in Jeff's shadow had changed lives. <laughs> Heaven help us. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> but the, I think the reality of this is when you see this picture of what God was doing, well, how should we respond? And what we see is we need to bring others into the presence of God's gospel power. The, the, the power of the gospel is so evident that, that people were starting to bring the broken to the place where the gospel is being preached. Did you hear that? Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing into the presence of, of, of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ? Who are you inviting? I mean, how, how we are his ambassadors. We are his now storytellers. Have we lost the zeal? Have we lost the zeal to realize that Jesus is the one who heals? We need to bring our friends and our neighbors into the presence of God. Okay, answered prayer, clearly. They prayed for boldness, they got it. They prayed for miracles, they got it. It led to marvelous growth in verse 14. Daily the Lord uh, added uh, to their number. What an amazing growth that it was. Uh, it was uh, men and women. Okay, I just want you to know, my notes are all out of order, so who knows what's going to come out of my mouth right now. So uh, I hope this is in the, it goes in the right order. Uh, God added, says, men and women. I love the beauty of the gospel. It was so reality that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone, young, old, Jew, Gentile, male or female, and, and a society that was so male-driven, and a society that really uh, wouldn't look at the females as the same uh, equality as men. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ wants us to know, ladies, that this good news is for you as well. And the multitudes who came were just not just men, they were women as well. And not only that, we love the fact, we look at Jesus' ministry, it's women who were supporting his ministry and, and really being a huge part of his ministry. But the bottom line is this, the gospel is for everyone. Uh, and then it will tell us at the end of uh, chapter 6, verse 7, who else came? Men, women, ready for this? It says priests. A large number of priests, too, were added. And these were the priests. These were the ones who were working in the temple. These were the ones that were close to Solomon's portico. These were the ones who basically reported to the Sanhedrin that was persecuting the early church, telling them to stop. They were basically working for those who said, shut down the Jesus movement. But they got so close to the Jesus movement, they said, I can't not only not shut this down, this is bringing life. This is what we long for. And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. We clearly see the gospels for everyone. Male, female, Gentile, Jew, the religious, the irreligious. But here's what we also got to realize. There's something fundamentally different between religion and relationship. These priests were religious people. They studied God's word. They devoted their lives to God's temple for God's name. And yet they realized that this gospel of Jesus Christ was different. They didn't... uh, necessarily just immediately have it because they were a Jew or even a Levite. That it required God's grace in their lives to see Jesus who for who he really is, that they too would realize that God, what God requires of us, Jesus has done for us. That you don't now have to try to earn your way to heaven, but that Christ has opened up heaven for us. That he has become a sacrifice for us and through his death now life reigns. And even these priests realize, man, there's a better way. And his name is Jesus. It's for the religious and the irreligious alike, becoming obedient to the faith. I love the fact that it even tells us the Lord added to their number. Salvation is of the Lord. I tell you, again, from a minister's standpoint of view, this is so powerful to be reminded of. You know, I'm called to be faithful, proclaim God's word. And God says he's the one. He's the one who from the beginning chooses those who will hear. He's the one who will call those certain group family. And he's the one who will add to their number daily. Would you join me in praying that God will add to our congregation daily? Well, all this growth led to complaints and challenges. It says the Hellenists, I'll tell you who they are in a minute, the Hellenist widows were neglected with the daily distribution of food. I mean, I want you to picture this. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people that are now making up the early church. Men, women, uh, uh, people from all over the place. And, and there were needs. And we just learned last week that when those needs arise, there were those who would sell property, give to those needs. But now we realize it's not all that easy. And there were some who were being neglected. It's very interesting. I've had the privilege of going to Israel a few times, and each time, uh, one of our customs is to go to Messianic congregations and worship with them. And many of the congregations uh, that are worshiping Jesus in Israel have come from Russia. They have Russian roots. Uh, they're Jewish roots. Russian roots have come to Jesus as Messiah, and now they worship in Israel, and many of them worship in guess what language? Russian. 
And so they're in there. I mean, I'll never forget how unbelievable it was and how, at the same time, a bit odd that you're in a Messianic congregation in Haifa uh, with Leon Matson, who's the preacher. It's a very Jewish-feeling service because they're pulling out much of the roots of the Old Testament. It's beautiful. They even had a cantor sing. It was awesome. But the whole thing was done in Russian, except for the reading of Torah, which was done in Hebrew. And talking to the pastors, you know what they were, they, what they're really wrestling with is that the older generation wanted Russian. They came from the motherland. Preach to me so I can understand it. Guess what the younger generation who was being raised there, born with, they wanted in Hebrew. And so there's this real, I'm not kidding you, there's churches that are arguing over what language do we preach? Now, we have worship wars. We say, do we sing hymns or contemporary or what? I mean, they're having, do you preach it in Russian or do you preach it in Hebrew? Well, you see, this was kind of what was happening in the early church. There were those who, through the diaspora, were dispersed uh, through uh, either to Assyria in 722 or Babylon in 536 through this exile. The Jews were dispersed, or, or maybe they fell on mission and went to the ends of the earth. But now they're being gathered again uh, back in um, Israel. And there were those, the Hellenists means those that were Greek-speaking. It means they were Greek-speaking. There were widows who had Jewish heritage, who had come to Christ, who'd come back to Israel. And then there were those widows that were Aramaic-speaking. They're called uh, the Hebraic. They probably spoke Aramaic, not even Hebrew. And they were the ones who usually got the first dibs. Now, we all want to know as commentary writers, and was it intentional? Was it intentional that they did that? I don't know. But the bottom line is, is that there were some being neglected. And because there were some being neglected, the apostles are going to point out, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, those who are going to take care of them. The beautiful thing is, the seven names I read to you, they're all Greek. Well, what a, what a, how wise is that? Saying, yeah, you think these, these women are being neglected? Let's make sure that your people are representing you well as well. But anyway, it led to complaints. That's what it, what it is. And uh, they're realizing, hey, there's this one in, in Christ. But the church's call, there's a couple things we need to see. It's one's for mercy ministry. That we are called to take care of our own. That we're called to take care of our widows. I mean, you cannot read the Bible and not know that God's heart is for widows and orphans. I mean, you read the Old Testament continually. It tells you, look out for the widow. Look out for the orphan, the fatherless. You get to the New Testament. You get to Jesus' Gospels. You get to James, who will tell us in James 1, what is pure and undefiled religion? What is pure and undefiled religion is taking care of the widows and, and the orphans. So the church had to do it. It's a call to mercy ministry. So do we. But there's a challenge of mercy ministry. How do you do it? I'm so grateful for all of God's word. You know that in 1 Timothy verse 5, it tells the church how to deal with widows. It'll say that there's some widows that are young that shouldn't be a burden on the church. It should work. And there's some widows that the Bible calls true widows that we really have to make sure we're taking care of. The Bible tells us uh, that we got to be careful of, in 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 10 through 12, that if we don't work, we shouldn't be allowed to eat. Isn't that harsh words? That the church shouldn't be just uh, uh, doling out for those who should be working, but the church should always be 
doling out for those who are in need. So there's this great need. It led to the distribution of responsibilities in verses 2 through 6. You know what? It's quite astonishing what the apostles did not do. I want you to get this. You can't miss this. They just got this need put at their feet. And it's astonishing what they didn't do. They did not stop what they were doing to take care of these needs. The apostles said, God has put his hand on us. We are going to devote ourselves to preaching and praying. We've got to raise up other people for this. Let me just give you a personal note. What an amazing privilege God has given me to say that my primary task is preaching and I believe praying. Every week I get excited about what God shows me in his word. Some weeks I get really convicted. I wish it was every week. Boy, this was one of those weeks I'm like, oof. God, am I devoted to praying for this congregation? I mean, devoted to it. I mean, is this, is this a priority of mine? Because you want to know the reality? If I'm praying, that's not really seen by anybody as doing a lot. Like, who praises a guy for praying? I mean, when you're seen and you're out there and you're waiting on tables, wow, then you get recognition. When you're out there, and, and, and you'll see me in the line today, and I want to make sure everybody watch me. I'm going to be packing for the homeless today, all right, for the peace in Haiti. Make sure you look at your pastor. He wants to be seen today. Because those are the things that we like to do because we like to have recognition because we're sinful and we forget that it's not about man, but it's about God. And I was just so convicted saying, God, that's your call in my life is to dig deep into your word. And be on my knees for your people. And therefore, we need to have those who are called by you to take care of those in need. They established deacons. The Greek word diakonos is right there. The, the deacons, the servants. And that's as we see this, this office that we have. And who are these deacons? Well, they had to have three things. They had to have a good reputation. A life before the Lord. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They had to make God decisions. And they had to be wise. They had to make good decisions. And they raised up so that they could take care of these needs. Let me just tell you. One of the things that a church like ours structurally tries to do. Not only raising up deacons. And man we have some phenomenal ones. Look for the guys who wear red shirts. Or have these little tags around them. uh, Who are serving the Lord. I'm so grateful for them. They're incredible what God has raised up here. The men and women who serve this church with great clarity. But at the same time, what we've tried to do is realize that the best way to shepherd our people is to get them in community. I mean, to take care of all of, your, all of the needs of the widows is to have you in a community group, to have you in a place where you're living your life before others that know your needs and, and love you and there's an elder over those groups. And that's the way we're trying to shepherd you. And it's hard because although we're not huge, we're pretty big in many ways. And many of the needs can slip through the cracks. And I'm sorry, I hate hearing them. It breaks my heart. It does. But let me encourage you, the structure that God has given to this church primarily is for the pastors to be preaching and praying and for the deacons to be doing mercy ministry and for all of us together to be serving one another. But the way we are shepherded is primarily through a community group model. If you're not in one, let me encourage you to please get into one. We see that God's hand of providence uh, is, is clearly upon them. 
and that, that uh, and clearly upon us. The week that we're preaching about feeding widows, we're going to pack bags for Haiti. Isn't that pretty awesome? The week that we're talking about the need for food distribution, we're going to go pack food. And I wish I could tell you we were smart enough to plan that. We just weren't, all right? But it's pretty amazing stuff. And then lastly, this led to marvelous growth. The word of God continued to increase. Why? Because there were men of God who said, this is what we're dedicated to. And they devoted themselves to make it a priority. And then it says, the disciples multiplied greatly. You know, that's my greatest prayer. It's not that our attendance multiplies greatly or our budget multiplies greatly. Yeah, I might have said a prayer or two about those things. Or even that our reputation multiplies greatly. But that Jesus would come, the power of his spirit, and the good news of the gospel, and the disciples here at Orangewood would be multiplied greatly. That all of us would be followers of Christ and, and, be, and have the privilege of leading others to the Lord. Please, Lord Jesus, come and do your work. It says that God added to their number, and it says that even priests came that were obedient to the faith. Let me ask this question in closing. What does obedience to the faith look like? What does it mean when Scripture says that even priests were obedient to the faith? It's coming to the realization that the good news of Jesus and what he has done is the power of God unto salvation. And it's all by his grace, and it's all through his Son, and it's all by faith. And what our reformers told us so clearly looking at God's word, it's, it's grace alone, it's faith alone, it's, it's Christ alone, it's scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. And now obediently believing and following that, that we don't have to try to earn God's love, we've already received it in Christ Jesus. We don't have to make our lives a sacrifice to get in. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. And now our lives are just a sacrifice of praise, saying, Lord, thank you for what you are done. What does obedience to the faith look like? It says this, my identity is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. I lay my life down at the cross and accept Christ as being sufficient. My rest is in Christ. How is it with you? Are you obedient to the faith? Who are you carrying to Jesus? Who are you carrying so that the gospel's shadow might even fall upon them? Maybe you just carry them in prayer. I hope that every one of you at least has some non-believers, friends. I mean, get some. If you don't have some, get some. You need them. Or your relatives. Thanksgiving's coming up. Who are you carrying to Jesus in prayer? That crazy aunt that you just drives you nuts. Pray for her. Carry her to Jesus. At least in prayer. Invite her to church. Send her a book. What role are you playing in the church? What role are you playing? Where are you? I mean, the church to be the church, we all got our role. We see the, clearly the, a preaching role. We see clearly a, a serving role. What role are you playing to be a blessing to others? We see in this passage, a church needs to be a place of learning and a place of healing. Are we? The church needs to be a place that both draws people to Jesus as we invite them and live our lives winsomely, and also a church that people are kind of afraid of us saying, huh, those people are whacked. They believe God's word. They love one another. May the gospel take hold. The church needs to be a place where heaven and earth meet. Do you get that? The church needs to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where the kingdom of God is clearly seen. For people like you and me, 
living in submission to Jesus as our king and on mission for Jesus as our king. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the picture of these growing pains. Thanks for not glossing over the fact that in all this great stuff, there was some bad stuff. There were some widows neglected. And I don't know exactly why, but that wasn't right. And God, I thank you for your wisdom that you gave the apostles saying, we're going to dedicate ourselves to prayer and to preaching. And we're going to, we're going to let you pick some men filled with the spirit and their wise and good reputation that, that we'll put our hands on and say, they got to take care of needs as well. Father, I pray specifically for this church. First of all, I pray for the widows. And I thank you for blessing this church with many. My heart breaks for the many that have become widows way too soon. And God, would you bless them, encourage them. And God, as a church, may we love them better than we do today. And God, I pray for the, the orphans. I pray for the, the, single, the, the kids that have lost parents. Uh, God, I thank you for the deacons program, um, Sons of Christ that is raised up by our, the heart of our deacons to say we want to mentor young men who don't have dads. And God, will we do a better job of that? God, I pray that the gospel would take hold of our lives in such a way that we just can't help but grab somebody and drag them to the gospel shadow. Not necessarily on a bed or a cot, but maybe just on prayer. And Father, I just pray that we're a church that this isn't content with a few doing the work of many. That each one would realize we got a role to play. We're the church. And God, I ask that you would add to our number daily those who are being saved for your glory. God, we realize that Orangewood's not the big C church. We're just a small C church, a part of what you're doing. But we thank you for what you're doing here. And we want more. We do. We want more for you and for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.